it's interesting about meditation. We're all looking for something in life. We're all looking for different things. Relationship, money, success, career, happiness, love, peace, forgiveness. I mean, just so many things that we're ever looking for. And in all that search, we're searching for something. But the world doesn't really tell us much about that inner search, that search of the greatest truth of all. And yet everybody in the world is searching for it. It's quite amazing. We all have longings. We all have needs. We all have wants. We're all pursuing a chase. We're all pursuing elements in the world. And for many of us, we find things that quiet us down, that answer certain qualities of our search, and that lasts for a while, and we're at peace, and then all of a sudden, it no longer is peaceful again, and we're off on another search. The thing is, most all those searches that we're doing are outside. They're in the world outside of us, away from us, and we're ever pursuing things out in the world trying to get something so that we are fulfilled, that we are happy, that we are successful. From my own personal experience, I know from all those searches, you feel for a moment some satisfaction, but it doesn't really answer everything that is taking place inside of you, this longing, this need, this want. For me, it's going inside and ever staying connected to the truth of who I am. That's what I had been looking for. And that's what I'm ever searching every day in meditation to maintain a connection with, is who am I? The world is ever calling us out into it, ever pulling us out to be involved. And it's a wonderful action to be involved in the world because that's where our lessons are, that's where our opportunities are, that's where a lot of experience can take place. And we can find fulfillment in a lot of that. But there's still something much more profound that we can find if we'll just take time every day, close our eyes and go inside and begin the inner quest, the inner search, to discover the truth of who we are. Not who we are in the world and how we identify ourselves in the world and how the world identifies us, but who are we really? Who is it that is in this body? Who is it that is going into the world to fulfill and to experience? When we begin to understand the truth of that and know the truth of who we are, things become quiet. Things become simple. We begin to have a greater definition of life, our life, our purpose, who I am. I know that when I was five and six years old, I remember going to a Sunday school class one time, and that was a question that the Sunday school teacher asked us. She said, do you think your mom and dad know who they are? 
And I thought, well, of course they do. They're my mom and my dad. That was my answer when she asked. And she said, is that all that they are? Well, at five or six years old, you're not really sure what an adult's trying to get at or what they're saying. And I said, yeah, that's who they are. They're my mom and my dad. And she went on and asked others. And then she said, I want you to go home tonight. And next Sunday, I want you to bring back a response from what they said. Go home and ask your mom and your dad, who are you? And so I did. When I got home, we were going to go to lunch. And I asked him on the ride to the restaurant. I said, I need to find out for Sunday school who you are. And my, my, my dad thought it was about his identity in the world. He said, well, I'm Charles Wayne Gordon. Tell him I'm Charles Wayne Gordon. Because he thought they wanted his name. And so I had my mom write it down because I wasn't really writing just yet too well. And then I asked her who she was, and I expected her to give her name. But instead, she started listing all these things off that she is in the world. Well, I'm a bookkeeper at this store. I'm this, I'm that, I'm your mother, and so on. And then she said, do you think that that's the answer that they want? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I said, you were my mother, and it didn't seem like it answered it for her. So who are you? (laughs) And my mother said, I know what they want. They want to know who I really am. She said, I'm really a child of God. It's just I don't always remember that. And she said, you tell her I'm a child of God. And let's see what she says. So next Sunday I went back and sure enough, she asked the questions of all the kids again. And she got to me and I said, well, my dad is Charles Wayne Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, well, that's an answer. And then she said, so who is your mother? And I said, well, my mother is my mother. And my mother is all these other things that she had written down. And I said, but really and truly, she's a child of God. And she said, oh, my gosh, that's the answer I was looking for. And and I thought that was just so very interesting that that was the answer she was looking for. And so I remember I went home and I began to contemplate that because I would pray every day. And so I began to contemplate this whole thing about being a child of God because I knew I was a child of God already from my own inner experience and my relationship that I had with God. I knew I was a child of God, but I didn't think it that big or important. Like, oh my God, that's the answer I was looking for. And so she, this teacher made it so important that I thought maybe there's more to it than I had found or I knew as a child. Because if you stop and look and think about your childhood, a lot of us, maybe not everybody, but a lot of us knew that we were spirit, that we were a child of God, that we weren't just this body. We knew that as a child. But through the ages 
as we grew and went to school, we lost sight of a lot of that. Well, it was very interesting because I went back home and every day, like I said, I would say my prayers every morning and again and every evening before going to bed. And so I started talking to God and saying, God, I want to know more about this stuff called being a child of God. I know I'm your child, and I know that you're there for me, and I know you're loving, and I know you take care of me, but I want to know more. Why is that so important that this lady was all excited that my mother answered the right way? And so I began an inner search about this whole thing of being a child of God. And I realized in that search that that's the fulfillment we're all looking for. That's where the answer is. If we can connect back to that truth, that simple truth that we all knew as children, and begin to live that truth again, everything is answered. There are no more questions. And there are no more answers. There's just living that action of being that child, that child of God. What is a child of God? What does it mean to be a child of God? That's something for you to answer inside yourself. For me, being a child of God means that first and foremost, I am spirit. I am not this body. God is spirit. God isn't a physical being. You can't walk up to God on the on the street and shake his hand and say, how you doing? You have to go inside and do that. So first and foremost for me, it tells me that I'm a spiritual being. And I need to remember that, that who I really am is spiritual, not physical. And second, as a child of God, I'm a child of the loving. Because what does the minister at the church or the rabbi at the church say? He says, God is loving. God is loving above all things. And that's found in every spiritual text in the world. God is loving. So I knew that from what I had heard, both from ministers I used to go to a a Jewish synagogue as well, periodically, and from the rabbis, as well as just what I knew inside. God is loving. And if I'm a child of God, then I'm a child of loving. That makes me loving. And so I began to find out what that loving was all about by going inside and looking at it every day. And I asked God, to help me to see this movement of loving inside. Where does the loving reside in me? What is this loving really about? How does it really move? And how does it really act and respond? And for 10 years, I did a search. I used to keep a journal. And I had a page at the very beginning and a page at the very end of my journals of evaluating or outlining what it was I had found about my search for the beingness that is loving in me 
in the journal that I had been writing on. And it was very interesting years later to go back and read even just those two pages, the very first page and the very last page of my journal, because that's where I would outline what was in that journal. I would put on the very beginning page what I was carrying with me from the last journal of my memory, my experience, my understanding. And then I would read the journal before I put the last page together and bring that insight, those experiences, onto that last page. So I would have a reference point, and I wouldn't have to go through them trying to find something that would lift me up, that would make me happy, that would answer things for me. I would have them in the beginning and at the end. That seems like a lot of work, doesn't it? You have to sit down every day and say a prayer, go inside, pursue some things to get an understanding, write it down in a journal and reread the journal. And But what is it all about? Isn't the knowing of who you really are important to you? Isn't it worth some time every day to find what that is so that you are at peace, you are at quiet, you don't have this push, this pull, this demand, this need, this want, this urgency, this void, this emptiness, this longing, but rather because you have done your homework, if you will, you are at peace. That's what life is about. I, I, for me, anyway, life is a quest to find that peace and to be able to maintain it. Just to maintain that peace. And what is peace? But it is loving. It is loving, ever-present, ever-moving, ever-conscious, ever-expressing itself in and around me, in and around you. Because when loving is in action in your consciousness, when loving is in action in your life, both inwardly and outwardly, there is peace there. Sure, there can be disturbance, but there's peace. I can remember when I was in a hospital for nine days, I had had some surgery, a biopsy, and they kept me in there for all these tests. And finally the day, the ninth day, the doctor came in and sat down in the chair next to me and said, I need to talk to you for a few minutes and it's not going to be an easy talk. And, and he began sharing with me that I had cancer. And he stopped for a second. He looked at me and he kind of shook inside. You could hear it in his voice. And then he said, so I need to talk to you about this cancer and what we're going to do about it. And he began to talk, and he had tears, and and uh, he kept looking at me, and I wasn't in reaction. I was at peace because I already knew I'd had cancer before I ever went to him and before I ever talked to him because I knew it from inside. I knew it from my own inner experience of what was taking place in my consciousness and in my body. I went to him and asked him, uh, you know, I have cancer. What do we do? And he checked me the first time and says, Jim, you're fine. 
everything's just fine. There's no cancer here. Don't worry about it. Go home. I went back a month later because I, I could feel it. I could see it. I knew it. And, and I said, look, I, I've got cancer. I know it. I just need to know what do I need to do now? What's the next steps? And he checked me out again and everything was fine. <laughs> I went back a few weeks later because I'd found a tumor finally that I could say, oh, what about this? <laughs> and he goes, oh, my goodness, okay. So it already had shaken him up a little bit that I had approached him on it three months, four months earlier before anything ever showed up. And now he was sitting there and talking to me, and he was the one shook up, not me. And so we're talking, and he's sharing with me all this. And finally he says, are you really okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And he said, you should really be upset right now. You should be crying or complaining or blaming the world or something like so many of the patients do. You know, do you really, are you okay? Do you need to yell or complain or do you want to cry a little bit? And I go, no, no, I'm fine. And then I started comforting him. (laughs) (laughs) And so he left after however long we talked about you know, possibilities of this and that. He left and and the nurse came in very quickly. Uh, the head nurse came in and said, are you okay? He, she didn't know about the cancer yet. I said, well, no, I have cancer and, you know, I got to do all these things and blah, blah, blah. And, and she said, well, why is the doctor so upset? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and it was just interesting she came in and tried to comfort me, and I didn't need comforting. And and she finally she turned to me. She says, "Why are you so at peace with this? What's going on here?" And so I tried to explain it to her, but she didn't really get it, and she left. And the day I checked out, the next day we checked out, and she asked me. She said, "Could I have your phone number? Because I'd like to call you sometime. I want to know how come you're so different from my other patients that come here." And, and go through what they go through. And so we talked, and it came down to one simple discussion that she was looking for something inside of herself that she didn't know where to find it. She was trying to fill up an emptiness inside. She had a very deep, dark, empty sp- space inside of herself, and she didn't know what to do with it. And nothing filled it up in her. Her husband would say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Please know I love you. And it didn't do it. And she thought all of her childhood and her, and her teens that once she found that man to say, I love you, it would be done. She'd finally be filled up and it didn't work. And she got her nursing degree and it didn't fill it up. And she said, how is it that you live in, in this quiet all the time is what she called it. And I said, that I spent since my childhood in prayer and meditation. I didn't learn about meditation until I was 18 years old. Until then, I called it prayer, but it was the same action. And what that action is, I discovered in a church. I was seven years old. I went to a Catholic church, and I was sitting in a pew at the very back of the church. So I wasn't Catholic, and I wasn't sure what to do. And so I figured, well, I'll sit in the back. Nobody will notice me if I do something wrong. And I can watch and learn, you know, how they conduct their services here. 
So we're sitting there, you know, they start the Mass, and then they get to the Lord's Prayer. And they're saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And all of a sudden, I just saw, and not everybody, but a lot of people, this light just go up here to the top of their head. And it was just brilliant. And some of them, it was just brilliant. And then as I started saying the prayer, it kind of began to wind down again. And then by the the amen, it was pretty much gone for most people. And I went there every Sunday for weeks just to see that happen again. (laughs) I just wanted to watch that light just burst in, in there again. And so I knew where to look. From that very moment, from that very experience, I knew where to look, and I knew how to find it. All I had to do was sit down and close my eyes and say the Lord's Prayer. And I discovered something. Our Father, which art in heaven, is right here. Here's where heaven is. Here's where the Father is. It's right here. That's the first step in discovering God inside of you. That's the first step in becoming knowing of the truth of the loving inside of you that is God, that is your soul. And so I would sit down every morning and every night and I would begin my process by saying the Lord's Prayer, bringing my attention here, and following that flow of energy of loving as it would go up to be in loving with the loving that resides here. And that's where I discovered the loving to be. And it's just that simple. And by sitting down and meditating every day and holding your focus here at the seat of the soul, the spiritualized center, the doorway of the universe, I mean, it's got so many names through all these different traditions. But by sitting and holding your attention here and bringing your loving to that place, even if you don't know what loving is, tell yourself, I'm bringing my loving here. It'll happen. Maybe not immediately because there'll be a part of your consciousness that says, what are you doing? This is such a waste of time. But if you do it and do it and do it and do it, Eventually, that part of you will get quiet or it'll join in or whatever might happen. But you'll get above all that noise of this world and of the body and wake up to a truth inside of you that is loving. And when you wake up to that, you will not have that emptiness anymore. You will begin to know how to fill yourself up every day and be filled overflowing. Isn't that what it says? to be filled to overflowing. But you do it every day. You do it every day. Now, it's not about the time. It's about the quality. Isn't that what they say about parenting today? It's about the quality of the time, not just the time. So you want to spend time inside every day, but you want to spend time with focus. You don't just sit down and close your eyes and just kind of sit there and just wait. Okay, God, here I am. Are you coming? Is the loving going to happen? I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. Where are you? 
You don't sit and wait for God. You pursue God. This is an active meditation. This isn't passive. Passive meditation is what you do if you want to become psychic in awareness. That's psychic passive meditation. Then you are sitting there and you're waiting to see what is the universe going to bring to me today. But this is a spiritual act of meditation of pursuing God. God likes a little chase. (laughs) Tag, you're it. And it's always that. Tag, you're it. You're it. You've got to chase me and catch me. And you think you've got to go chase all over the place to find God, but God's right here. You know, there's a story from ancient Greece that one of the philosophers shared with his disciples, his students. He said, you know, there was a meeting one day in the heavens of all the gods. And they came together and they sat. And as they were creating this world, they said, okay, but there's one last thing we have to decide upon. And that is, where are we going to put the soul? Where are we going to hide it? And one of the gods said, what do you mean hide it? Why do we want to hide it? Well, because if they go down into that world and find the soul, the search is done. And they'll just come back up here again. They don't have anything else to fulfill or do. We need to hide the soul in the world so that they begin to search the world and have experience there and learn and grow through that experience and become a better soul. And when that search is complete in the world, then they will find their soul and complete themselves and come back. So one master said, one one God said, well, let's hide it in the deepest part of the ocean. They'll never find it there. Nah, the other one said, they're so clever and they will pursue after everything to know it, understand it, and they will find it at the bottom of the ocean. Well, let's put it at the top of the highest mountain. No, just as they will go to the bottom of the ocean, they will go to the top of the mountain to see what's there. And they talked about caves. They talked about every place that they could think of to hide it. And then finally one of the gods said, I know where they'll never go. Let's put it inside of them. They'll never go there. And that's what they did. They put the soul right here. So as it's very well hidden, because what do we do? The moment we open our eyes in the morning is we are ever involved in the world. We're ever out here chasing after everything. And isn't that what the scientists have done? They are ever out here pursuing, learning, tearing it apart, putting it back together, defining it. But how many people really sit down on their own every day and go inside? And go inside. But if you really are longing for, searching for, wanting something that the world isn't giving you, maybe you're finding bits and pieces, but it doesn't fit together, it doesn't all make sense, and it doesn't answer what you're looking for, you might want to spend some time sitting down 
in spending a little quiet time with you, but not just you, this body, not just you, these emotions and this mind and the confusion that resides in this lower part of our being, but rather spend some time waking up to the truth that is here, this divine soul, this divine spark that resides right here. We don't have to go out into the spiritual or physical universes to find it. We just have to close our eyes and go inside and know it, become it, live it. That's the fulfillment of this life. That's the quest that is fulfilled. When we begin to connect to that loving, and how do we do that? We just sit down and hold our attention on that quality of God that resides inside of us. That's why we ask you to chant the hue, the H-U. This is one of the spoken names, one of the most ancient spoken names in the world. And it is found in almost every culture, in every language, and in every tradition around the world. The hue. And the Greek philosophers, they taught the hue. And the way they taught it was about the soul. The soul. And they said, hue came into this physical being but couldn't have experience in it without having some physical element to attach to to experience the physical. And so it attached itself to the mind. So we have God, Hugh, attaching itself to the mind, Manas, in ancient Greek. Hugh, Manas. That's who we are. We are that divine spark of God in the mind of this body consciousness. And what we want to do now is to free ourselves of the mind and once again truly get to know ourselves as that hue, as that divine element, that loving that is God in us. That's the search. And believe me, it's quite a search because the mind will do everything it can to call you back down. What are you doing? Leave that alone. Just don't go there. I'm everything to you. Pay attention to me. Listen to my words. And it will tell you you have this to do. You haven't done that yet. You're, you're ignoring over here. And it'll call you back down and out into the world. And you just say, not for this moment. Be quiet. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to go to God that dwells within me. And eventually, if you do this daily, you will find that the soul will free itself of the trap of the mind and be able to begin to look up once again to its true source, which is God, the creator of all things. But it takes time. And that takes patience, and that takes devotion, and that takes daily practice, daily action of doing. But if you do it, you'll begin to have inner experience. And that is the key to this journey, is having your own experience. It's not about what we say or anybody else says in the world. Until it's your experience, it's not true. So don't even believe what we're saying to you today. 
but go home and try it anyway. Even if you don't believe it, go home and try it and begin to see if you don't find a truth in this. Closing your eyes, there's nothing. It's dark. Okay, so now what? Begin chanting the you. But don't just chant the hue. Chant it holding your focus here. Okay, so now I'm chanting the hue. I'm chanting it out loud. I'm chanting it silently. I'm chanting it out loud. I'm chanting it silently. And I'm going to keep bringing my attention up here. Well, I'll give you maybe 15 seconds of holding that focus. And then something in the world is going to call you back down. Oh, man, that itch just won't go away. Oh, man, you know, I forgot to pay my bills. I better go pay my bills. You know, something in the world is going to call you out. And all you have to do is say, nope, not right now, and just begin chanting the hue and bring your attention back up. Something else will call you out, bring your attention back up, chanting the hue. That's what the hue is for. It's a means by which to return our focus back to what we want. We are pursuing God, the God that dwells within us. So we chant that frequency of God, the hue. It's a frequency. All of you know or have heard Om. Om Mani Padme Om. Om. Om is a frequency. Why do the gurus, the teachers, the rishis ask you to practice their meditation, chanting the Om? Because they know that that frequency will take you to the very top of the mind. The very top of the mind. And that's what their focus is on. It's the very top of the mind because they want you to become self-aware. Aware of the self and the physical body. Self-aware. So Om will bring you to the top of the mind where you can begin to know yourself as mind and begin to take charge of that mind quality. But it doesn't answer everything, because there's yet the greater answer above the mind. And that's where the frequency hue comes in, because it will carry you right up into the first level of soul awakening that can take place right here in the physical body. So it takes you above the mind and into that quality of the soul. That's something to pay attention to. And if you want peace, peace of mind, chant the Om. It works. Transcendental meditation is one of the greatest examples of that. Maharishi taught meditation focusing on the Om. And it worked for millions of people around the world bringing them into a place of peace of mind. And it is a wonderful thing to have peace of mind because it does quiet things down. It does make it easier to move in this world. It does make it easier not to go into reaction, but to be in action. But it still doesn't answer that longing that we have inside of us. That longing is wanting to be filled with the loving of our own true nature. Well, the mind isn't loving. The mind is knowing. The mind is knowledge. The mind is experience in this world. But mind is not a loving thing. 
Mind is a lot of things, but it does not have the quality of loving in it. That which is loving is our soul. So by going into that which is the soul and experiencing the loving, we begin to be filled up. And maybe for the first time, we don't have this need, this longing, this quest, this anger, this frustration running, but rather we can fill that place up continually with the loving. And the way you do that is, sure, I mean, you can't be meditating behind the wheel of a car. You can't close your eyes and chant at you and drive somewhere. You're not going to get very far. But you can still, even with your eyes open, be focused here and chanting the hue during the day and just keep that presence of the loving alive inside of you to where it's continuing to fill you up. And it will. You know, we run our mind a lot, judging other people, complaining about things, arguing with ourselves, judging ourselves and judging others. Our mind just goes on and on and on. And we're so used to it now that a lot of times we don't even pay attention to just the conversation it's got running but we don't even realize how much that conversation is influencing our mood and our daily life. Better that we say to the mind, be still, be quiet, and listen to this, and then just chant the hue inside. Speak it over and over and over. And let yourself continue to build that loving up inside of you, even during the day while you're at work, while you're cooking a meal, while you're driving. And bring loving into everything you do. I remember when I first moved out of the house, I was free and on my own, and it was exciting and it was scary. Because all of a sudden I had all these bills to pay, I had all these other responsibilities, I had to do all my meals, I had to take care of the car, everything. And... I began to do just that. Now, I didn't have the hue available to me at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. I hadn't learned about the hue at that time. So I just did what I felt would serve me to wake up to that loving. And since the first time I ever witnessed it in a community of people was with the Our Father, I would just continually say, my father, my father, my father, inside. Focusing my loving to my father. And it worked. And so I would chant that over and over and over. And so one day, I, the first time I go grocery shopping for myself after moving into my apartment, and I go to the grocery store and I put my hands on the the cart to go shopping. And automatically, I just, it was like almost I put my hands on the wheel, I put my hands on the cart, and I began to say our father over and over and over inside, my father, my father. And I'm going through the store, looking at food and picking things out, and but I'm chanting and bringing forward the loving in everything I'm doing. And all of a sudden, I, I turn and there's this woman and she's following me. And 
At first, I didn't think she was following me, but then I went down an aisle, and there she was, and I went down another aisle, and there she was. And and so I didn't say anything to her, and I went up to check out, and there she was right behind me. And so I kind of nodded, and she nodded back, and she said, could I talk to you after you check out? And I go, well, sure. And so I checked out, and I waited for her, and she came over, and she said, so what were you doing? And I said, what was I doing? I was shopping. You know, hey, here's my groceries. I was shopping. And she goes, no, what were you really doing? And I go, what was I really doing? And I just do it automatically. I don't even think about it. And I, so I wasn't giving it a lot of thought. And she said, no, but what were you really doing? I want to know what that was. And I said, what that was? What was it for you? Because I didn't know what she was talking about. She said, you were at such peace. You were picking your groceries out and, you know, checking this head of lettuce or whatever, but you were at such peace. I want to know what that was. How do you do that? And all of a sudden I realized what it was. And so I just shared with her what I do. And so she said, that's it? I mean, that's, (laughs) you know, it's got to be harder than that, right? I said, well, that's it. That's what I do. That's what I've done all my life. I've done that since I was a child. And I I just did it here, I guess, and didn't even realize what I was doing. And so she said, okay. Well, months and months later, I saw her in the grocery store. And she came running up to me and she said, oh, my God, what's next? What do I do next? (laughs) She said, I thought you were crazy when I left. And I thought about it, and I never did it, and I thought about it and and everything, but I just never did it. And then finally one day I was in such misery, I thought, I've got to try this. And so I just sat down and I did it. I said the Lord's Prayer over and over and over, ever seen the Father here. And she said, it worked. The very first time I did it, it worked. She said, I should have done it right the day you said it, but I didn't. And she said, I do this all the time now, over and over and over. And I'm teaching it to my children. I hope that's okay. And I said, well, yeah, I think that's okay. And so she said, so what do I do next? And I said, there is no next. There's just living more of it all the time. She said, there's no more next? I mean, there's nothing else I have to do? And I said, well, you can make something up, but that's what I do. And I said, out of that, you're going to come to understand the world better. You're going to understand people better. And you're going to be able to move in and through the world easier than you were before. Because, one, you won't be in reaction. You'll be in action of loving rather than reaction to all the elements of the world. And you'll also be centered. And when you're centered, you're in your strength. And in that strength, you can do things that you couldn't do before and find greater peace and joy and happiness and success in the world just as you find it inside yourself. And she said, you know, the craziest thing that ever happened to me so far with all this? And I said, no, but, you know, tell me. And she said, my husband wants to know what I'm doing. My husband saw a difference in me after I started doing this. And I haven't, I don't do it where he's witnessing me sitting down and closing my eyes and doing this. 
Nobody's seen me do that. But he wants to know what changed. I'm not yelling at the kids all the time. I'm not angry with people at work. I'm not angry with him if he doesn't get something done like I've asked. And he wants to know, why am I not angry? (laughs) And so she finally told him. And she hadn't heard back from him. If he's doing it or not, she's not going to ask. But she's waiting to hear if he does do it, what happens. And she said, I think he's doing it. Because I'm beginning to see something different in him. And how he responds to me. And how he's with me. And... I actually am aware that he's listening to me talk to him now. Where before, I'd have to say it three or four or five times. Are you listening? Hello? (laughs) Kind of thing. She said, now he's attentive. And so I think he's doing it, but I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to mess it up. And so she said, well, thank you. And she gave me a big hug right there in the grocery store. And, you know, I don't think I ever saw her again. But that, that's how simple this is. That's just how simple this is. God made the inner journey so, so simple. The outer journey, not so simple, I don't think. But the outer journey is one that is not of the spiritual world. It is a separate creation. It has a separate focus. And it has a separate purpose than the inner creation and the inner journey. And I know that the inner journey is about God and about spirit and about loving. And if we can become awake to that and begin to bring it into our daily life, our outer journey will change. It's just automatic. Because nothing can stand against the loving. Nothing. Not even cancer. So... It's a matter for each of us to see if we are looking for something other than the world has offered us and to begin to pursue that. Now, what we do here is we also share the sacred name, which many of you have been initiated in. It's another part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, that was the second part that I wanted to know for so long. What was the hallowed name of God? What did Jesus mean by that? And so I began to pursue that as well and found out through my spiritual search that there is these names of God, this name of God, many of them spoken, but some that are called the unspoken name of God. And it is found in the Hebrew tradition. It's found in the Christian tradition. It's found in the Indian tradition, the East Indian tradition, in the Sikhs, in the Sufis, in the Hindu, and in uh, Islam. The sacred name is everything and is often the core of every religion. But once it becomes a religion, the sacred name often gets lost because the mind of man has put all these dogmas on it and the name has gotten lost. But when the teacher was alive, the name lived on and was taught as a part of the spiritual practice. So we also initiate or share that sacred name with people that are pursuing it to a deeper level. 
so that they can wake up to other elements of the soul beyond that which just resides here. So there is more of a search, but at the time when I was talking to the lady at the grocery store, I didn't know how to answer that. Because at 19 years old, I hadn't found the answer to that one yet. So maybe I need to go back to the store and see if I can find her. (laughs) That would be interesting. (laughs) All right. 